you need to be able to learn from your actual projects to develop the right products. And you also need to serve your customers with a complete solution. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, and welcome to this special episode of Smart Energy Voices, produced in partnership with EDF Renewables. Today, I'm joined by Raphael de Klerk, Executive Vice President of Distributed Solutions and Strategy at EDF Renewables North America, to discuss the changing needs of large electric power users and how EDF is evolving in response to those needs. Raphael, thanks very much for being with me here today. And let's start by having you tell us a little about yourself and your current role at EDF. Hi, John. Thanks a lot for having me. It's it's great to be here. I am looking forward to our conversation. I love reading your prose, and it's great to have a chance to discuss with you. So as far as I'm concerned, I've been with EDF for about 12 years. I have a background in consulting and done a little banking before that. And my role at EDF has been since the mid-2010 to build an offering for CNI customers and other entities that are looking for distributed solutions. So energy that is consumed close to where they are, energy that is produced close to where they are and can be consumed right there. That clean energy need is growing. And that's what we are serving with, with EDF. I am currently based in the DC area and, and back in San Diego this summer. And I've been living in the US for 11 years now. We came over from France, just my wife and my daughter and my two boys were, were born in the US. So that's, that's for context a little bit. All right, very nice. You certainly have an exciting portfolio of responsibility because distributed solutions is clearly a growing in importance In fact, we think that distributed energy resources are going to be a critical component to uh, any company's plans that are are trying to achieve emission reduction goals. Let's start by talking a little bit about EDF at, at a higher level. EDF is a large global player in renewable energy. While I'm clear of your activities, I'm not sure that all energy and sustainability managers in North America have an appreciation for the the broad scope of your activities. Why don't why don't we have you give us a brief overview of EDF's global operations and footprint? Yeah, absolutely. EDF is well known in Europe. It's well known in the world of utilities, and we have a growing presence on the CNI side. But you're right; it's good to remind everybody of what the EDF group is. It is one of the largest producers of electricity in the world. It operates the largest transmission network in Europe, the largest distribution network in Europe, very strong presence in France, in the UK, in Italy. It is an integrated energy player and it is listed on the Paris Stock Exchange. To give you orders of magnitude, I think there there are more than 150,000 employees in the EDF group in the world. And roughly speaking, it is about a $20 million EBDA a year business. What I really loved about EDF when I joined after some consulting was this very early focus on renewables. And that's been done through an entity that is part of EDF, but has its own separate management. It's called EDF Renewables. This is what I'm part of. This is what I've been part of from the get-go. And EDF Renewables as a global footprint. It is a developer and operator of renewable projects of all sorts. Uh, present in 22 countries in the world now. It's, it keeps on growing, but I think the latest number is, <laughs> is 22. It is very present in Europe, but the US actually, and North America to a broader extent, actually accounts for about a third of the business. So it's been a critical part of our growth to be here 
in the US growing, starting from the wind side, and then in the early 2010, starting the diversification towards solar and continuing that diversification. Today, we were present on the offshore side. We're extremely active on the storage side. We've placed in service, if you only look at last year, 1.6 gigawatt of renewables, a majority of it being, being solar. And that's for the US only. And then if you look back over or more than 20 years of experience, it's more than 20 gigawatts of renewables that we've developed in, in North America. So we are actually very active in helping the US transform the energy industry by providing those projects. Historically, we were mostly providing those projects to load-serving entities and utilities in particular. But in the mid-2010, we started to see demand coming directly from end users, from commercial and industrial CNI customers that were disintermediating the utilities and coming directly to us to get, to get power from large wind farms, from large solar farms. And we also saw that those same CNI entities were looking for solutions that would be closer to home for them. And that's where we developed our distributed solutions. We started this in the mid-2010. So if you look at EDF Renewables today in North America, we have really three businesses. We have a business of asset optimization. So we operate and try to really make the asset sweat as much as possible for our own benefit, because we keep some of the projects on our own balance sheet, and for the, 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 the benefit of the other partners that are typically associated with us on those projects. So asset optimization is the first one. The second one is what we call grid-scale power. And in grid-scale power, we have all the elements of the value chain from early origination of the project through placing the project in service, managing construction and placing the project in service. And this is really the, the, the core business of, of developer. We're in the top, depending on, on which ranking you're going to look at, we're in the top five or in the top three for solar. We're one of the large players in this growing field. And then the third piece is distributed solutions, what I am in charge of, and where we look at ways to serve customers with solutions that are close to the places where the energy is consumed and we try to make it exactly right where they need it and right when they need it. Yeah, well, that was a great overview, Raphael, because it not only explained the global footprint, but you did a nice job explaining the evolution of the company's business in North America. And I thought I knew the company. I didn't know you were the largest transmission and distribution entity in Europe, which which is interesting to, to know but the, the evolution from taking your utility industry expertise and leveraging that to serve customers and now evolving your offering to meet the needs of customers, particularly in the area of distributed solutions, suggests to me that you pay close attention to what customers want and you're evolving your products to meet those needs What's your take on how the needs of large CNI customers has evolved over the last 18 to 24 months? What do you see happening from the customer side? The past 18 to 24 months, but especially the past 18 months, have been uh, pretty unusual, right? And what's interesting is that demand from the CNI customers for clean energy hasn't faltered. It has actually continued to grow. And that's the main thing that we've seen, be it demand for remote PPAs from large projects or demand on-site for clean solutions. The continuity in that demand is the first thing that I think we should highlight when we look back. Contrary to the previous crisis where demand for renewables in the, in, after the financial crisis of 2008, the demand plummeted. It's, it was not the case here. To the contrary, you've seen demand continued there were some challenges in the midst of the pandemic, for sure, especially when everything was shut down. When you have to go and install on a site in New Jersey, there were obviously huge challenges. But we've overcame those challenges and demand has continued to grow. Another aspect that I think is related to the peculiarity of those last 18 months is the fact that resilience has become a much more important theme for CNI customers. Because they've seen that the world could be turned upside down practically overnight. And so making sure that your, your staples and energy is one of them is always available has really gone up in the priority list of the things that the CNI customers we're talking to are looking at. 
That's a very important aspect for us. It, it drives the attention we're paying to microgrids and to local energy in general. The third thing that I've seen, other than continued demand, which wasn't given more attention to resilience, is an increasing interest in looking at ESG goals, at, at sustainability in a holistic way. Instead of looking separately at, okay, I may do something here for EV charging and I may do something there for storage, we are seeing customers that are typically more advanced on the solar side bringing up the topics of clean transportation and of resilience and storage. This is very clear. It is still, it is still nascent. It's not like all the CNI customers, the very large buyers, Target, Walmarts, or some of the largest, Amazon is a very large one too. They're not all jumping and saying, okay, we want, we want storage on every installation, but they're asking the question about every installation. Okay, does it make sense or not? And I think you see the same on the electrification of transportation. CNI customers are asking systematically to us, okay, what can we do about the largest contributor to greenhouse gas emission in the US? Because as you know, it's, it's, not, it's not the power sector anymore. It's transportation that is the main culprit for the greenhouse gas we emit in the US. And so they're asking us, okay, what, what can we do there? You see it in the number of CNI customers that have signed up to the EV100 initiative that has more than tripled in the last 24 months. This is a sign that there is really an holistic approach to the sustainability challenges that the CNI customers are looking at. Yeah, you got your finger on the pulse of things, Raphael, because those points are right on. I think the increase attention in resiliency, 100%, I mean, between wildfires in California and the winter event in Texas and COVID, I mean, people are feeling an increased sense to be prepared. The ESG piece that you referenced, I think is a massive, a fundamental massive driver because it's it moved the goalposts from a focus on just renewable energy procurement to decarbonization. And when the goals became decarbonization, right, everything had to get looked at. So if your load was principally from natural gas, and you could say, well, we don't do much with electricity because our, our load's natural gas driven. With a decarbonization goal, you've now got to figure out how to electrify these on-site assets. Everyone's now looking at EVs the way you mentioned. And customers, or at least from my experience, they're looking for this broader answer. They're looking for broader solutions. That leads me to, to ask, how? what's your point of view? How's EDF responding to those needs that you just articulated. Yeah, I'll, I'll come to us in a second, but I, I want to echo what you're saying and, and, and expand it a little bit on this, on the importance of those ESG goals, because this is a trend that is very clear. It is difficult to measure the impact that it's really having on demand, but it is very clear that between the goals that those corporates are setting and what is being offered today, there is a gap. There's a gap that needs to be filled and it needs to be filled with a sort of all of the above approach where you're going to have some remote PPAs, you're going to have some on-site generation, you're going to have some electrification of transportation, but this is here to stay. I mean, you've seen what happened with ExxonMobil's board. To me, that's extremely telling. If you have one of the, the companies that was the most adamant about staying focused on their course and continuing to milk what they had on, on fossil fuel, that's Exxon. And their board is changing and, and even them are being shaken by those trends that push many others to already have made very high commitments on the ESG side. Those commitments are essential. It's not like companies are going to be able to substitute themselves from governments. You need them to work with governments, but it is really a deep trend. And we're seeing this. There is, there is really something that clicked in the past 18 to 24 months. So I, I want to see this turning into 50% increase in the size of the, of the markets that we are, we are playing in. I think it will be the case. If it's not next year, it's the year after. Oh, I'm so glad you hit on this topic. We had our Renewable Energy Forum last week, and we were, I was in conversation with this with one of my colleagues on Smart Energy Decisions, Peter Kelly Ditwaller. And he had heard the phrase just the day before 
that more and more companies are, are need to be given what he referred to as a social license to operate. And if you're not in compliance with that social license to operate, you're going to be called to task. And Exxon was called to task. And on that same day, it was fascinating to see how in the Netherlands, the Dutch courts mandated what Shell's emission reduction goal was going to be. I mean, think about that. So if you have financial pressure and government pressure not telling you how you're going to run your business, man, you're really going to have to pay attention. So it's a new ballgame. I see exactly the same thing you do. Yep, it is. And so we're we're seeing that demand from CNI customers. We're seeing how they are really maturing in their approach to solve those self-imposed challenges on the ESG side. And our answer is PowerFlex. So PowerFlex is the entity that we have been using mostly for EVs, and we are gathering all our offerings on the on-site side of our business. So all the distributed energy that is dedicated to CNI customers on-site, we are gathering this under the PowerFlex brand. And what it means is that we offer our customers a one-stop shop for their solar, for their storage, for their smart EV charging needs. We can do that adding resiliency when it's needed. We have the, the islanding capabilities that some of those customers are longing for. And we have developed our own software, our own energy management system that orchestrates those different pieces. So they are able to maximize the savings for our customers while allowing them to meet their ESG goals. So that's our answer. It's okay, we cannot we cannot wait. We need to be ready to serve our customers with products that we think through. We're not just coming to our customers saying, okay, what do you want? We're coming to our customers saying, we have a solution for you that's all encompassing. It's not only about solar. It's not only about storage. It's not only about electrification of transportation. It's not only about resilience. You have to look at this all together. We can offer you the full gamut of those solutions and we'll be able to operate it with a cost advantage thanks to our energy management system. And then if you project yourselves further in the decade, once you have hundreds of those assets, you're able to operate them in a coordinated way and you can serve the grid operators with grid services that will be coming from those assets that are at the end of the grid, at the grid edge, and that have the flexibility that the network is going to need. The networks are really going to need the flexibility we can offer with the, with the storage the batteries in all forms, the stationary storage or the electric vehicle. So that's really what we are pushing for. It's a vision that we had since 2015. It was very clear for us that this was where it's, it was going to go. But that really watershed moment, I think, is happening now, where you see the CNI customers that are taking their ESG goals to the next level. You see a government in the U.S. that is supportive of the fight against climate change at large. And the technology is ready. The technology is ready. It needs investment, but it's ready. And so we, we're there to serve our customer with those new products we're developing. Yeah, interesting. It's an exciting vision. I want to give you a chance to talk about each piece of it. Let's maybe start with solar. What is the, what's the solar component for PowerFlex? Tell us a little about that. Yeah, so some CNI customers have known us for years. We've installed 350 megawatt of CNI solar in the U.S. That's more than 300 installations. We've used the Entosolar name. So some customers have seen us using that name. We're now using the PowerFlex name. This is sort of the most mature market. It is the place where still a lot of corporates that are new to ESG or haven't achieved all their goals are starting from. This is not going anywhere. This is still going to continue to go down in cost. This is still going to continue to grow at the market if you look at all projections for the US. Today, it's about a, a two gigawatt a year market, the on-site CNI market. And it's going to grow by the end of the decade. The expectation is that it will have grown 50% and will probably exceed four gigawatt a year in the following decade. So it's a very high volume market. It's a market that continues to open up in different pockets in the US. You see a place like Texas, Texas installed five megawatts of CNI solar in 2020. So you compare that to, I think, something like 300 in, in California. This is minuscule. When you compare that to the resource, the sheer potential that there is in a place like Texas, you see that there's still plenty to do to use the available 
real estate on roofs, on carports, even on ground mounts in some places, you're on site, you're close to your customer, you can be behind the meter. This remains essential to us. Even if when you look at the revenue projection, the size of the market in dollar is going to shrink because the cost is going to continue to go down for solar. And so the size of the market is, is going to reduce. But at the same time, you have the other technology, we'll, we'll talk about them in a second, that are expected to grow very fast. So it's a good complement for us from a business standpoint. Yeah, that enter solar acquisition, Raphael, was a good move. Really good company. I know the principals, Paul Ahern and Peyton Boswell, since I started Smart Energy Decisions, actually before that. So good quality people, good company, and, and that was a good move on your part to acquire them. Yeah, you mentioned the people, and we'll talk about it again later, but that's that's what it's all about. I mean, there is some uh, software differentiation that we will expand on. But really, it is about our ability to bring together the people that have the talents that are needed from the technical talents to the ability to recruit massively and quickly and do all this with the motivation is sort of, I would almost say, easy to find because the purpose is so clear in what we're doing. And that resonates very well with, with young graduates and young professionals. But then it's finding people that are also have the business acumen to be extremely successful in a very competitive environment. And that's a, a wonderful challenge. And if you do it right, I think Entesor definitely did it right. You end up with teams that are so exciting to work with, really. Yeah. You need smart, passionate people who want to save the world and know how to run a business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're saying it right. You're saying yeah, it right. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. So solar is obviously central, right? It's in our research, it's the single distributed energy resource with the current highest level of penetration. And it's also the one that has the highest level of future intent. While not having very high current penetration, but high intention and interest is the storage piece. Tell us about how storage fits into PowerFlex. I like the, the distinction you guys have made in your research to, to show the difference between intention and action. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's still a market that I think is, is disappointing in terms of, of size. You have some pockets in California. Ontario is another market. But we, we are still waiting for New Jersey, New York, and other Massachusetts is, is growing, but not at the pace we expected. So there is a little bit of a, of a timing issue on storage. Now, we've been at it for a very long time. And here again, we see that there is something that is changing. It's happening in pockets again. It's again, California that is leading the way. We have 40 megawatt hours that are in construction or already operating. And this is mostly in California. And we are, we are seeing increased relevance of storage because that's really what it's all about is making sure that it makes sense given the tariffs that the customers are under to add storage. Otherwise, if you have a good net metering system for your solar, you may say, well, why would I bother with adding more investment for storage? Well, because the tariffs are going to evolve in order to reflect the problem that we created as renewable developers by introducing more intermittent clean power on the grid. And this is exactly what you're seeing in California. California has, has been very helpful to, to help the industry grow. And because it was serving a need with the S-CHIP, the self-generator incentive program. Beyond that, what's, what's happening in California that tells us we should continue to invest in storage. And I'll come back to what it means investing in storage. It's a lot of investment in software. We should continue to invest in storage because the direction that the regulators are going to take is what you're seeing in California in the NAM 2.0, but also in the discussions on, on NAM 3.0, where if you don't have storage, the attractiveness of your solar is going to be greatly reduced. The, the economic attractiveness is what I mean. And that makes sense because the regulators should recognize that there is already a lot of solar in some places and you should be able to also provide clean energy in what we call the shoulder hours in the morning and, and in the evening where you have peaks and you, you, don't have, you don't have sun. That's what we're seeing with storage. I mentioned already the resilience. That's another trend that we're seeing in storage where it's not only about generating savings by shaving off the peak and reducing your demand charges, which is one of one of the use cases in California, or it's not about avoiding the non-coincidental peak. So the peak that is 
generated at the scale of the network. That's what we're doing in Ontario. Those are interesting applications. They're useful to the grid. They're useful to our customers. It cuts their energy bills. But it's more than just your energy bill when you talk about resilience. It's about selling your inventory. If you have just gone through the harvest and you're preparing your wine for the next vintage, you cannot afford to lose refrigeration or any other of your of your processes just because the grid needed to be shut off by the utility through those PSPS that you were mentioning. So then the way you look at your investment is is very different. It's a different lens. And that's what uh, storage allows too when you when you have microgrid capability. Yeah. Well said. I'm glad to see you focusing on C and I with storage because believe it or not, I've had CNI customers complain to me that they can't get the attention of the pure play battery companies, uh, storage companies, because they're so focused on large utility scale projects. So the fact that you've got a storage solution as part of this bundled PowerFlex offering that's tailored to CNI customers, I think is something that's going to be well received. Yeah. Either players are too focused on the large opportunities of utility scale storage that exist as as EDF renewables, we're installing gigawatt hours of batteries, especially in, in, in the west part of the country. And that's very helpful to the load serving entities. So it's either that, too much focus on the utility scale, and then you're you're left with not enough attention from the manufacturers to develop the right modules for the smaller sizes, or you have players that were very active in that field and took a turn to focus only on the software. And this is where we are seeing a different strategic approach that is to continue to be both able to deliver the solutions, but also develop the technology, the software technology that is tailor-made for the CNI customers. You need to understand hundreds of tariffs to, to pick the right one to make your storage worth your while. You need automation for that. And that's the software that we have developed that, that allows that. And yeah, some, some players have decided to just focus on one or just focus on the other. We think you need both. Okay. The software is so critical. I want to be able to get into that in a little more detail momentarily. But first, Raphael, I would like you to be able to articulate kind of how does the EV charging piece fit into the PowerFlex mix? We recently concluded some research that indicates there is going to be an explosion, a very rapid growth in deployment of EVs, particularly with fleets. And the demand for EV charging is really about to skyrocket, we think. How does EV charging fit into the the PowerFlex model? Yeah, so we started from the customer and the customers we're serving, the CNI customers, they have large parking lots with employees that are coming in every morning and uh, they are located in places where electric vehicles start to make sense. And in California, again, this is already a real market where you have real demand from employees to be able to to charge their vehicles at work. So we started from there and this is how it fits. You you see the, the natural fit, right? It's the same customer, you're on the same site and you're talking about not only solar or storage, but also bringing up EVs and how, how, how we could fit EV charging under, under those carports. So that's how we started about it. And then we had in mind the, the segment that you're talking about, because some of our largest customers on the solar side are in the logistics business. And so they see the need for electrification of the last miles of transportation. And you need, you need again, to Think holistically. If you if you charge your your yet to come light duty trucks with electricity that is produced at night from a coal plant out of state, well, you're not really helping that much. So you need to take a holistic view. And if you can, the, the best way to make sure that it's clean is to use the electricity you produce on site. So that's how we we have thought about the introduction of EV charging in our offering. And we've done that through the acquisition of, of a company called PowerFlex that is an offshoot of Caltech and that has focused on the large EV parking lots. It's important to think big because of the potential for fleet, but also because the demand from employees is only going to grow. So when you're serving a, a tech company in, in California, you cannot just say, okay, I'm going to put two EV chargers here and your employees will be happy. No, you need much more than that. 
you cannot rely on on features like waitlist. This is not a feature; it's a bug. Okay, because then you're you're a doctor, you're a surgeon, you're in the operating room, and you get a an alert that you need to go and move your vehicle. Now that's not possible, and like this is not what any type of employee is gonna is gonna want. And the company should not let that happen. It's a loss of productivity. So that's how we 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 went about EV charging. It's offering something that is complementary to the other two products to CNI customers. And then we we can talk about that later. Then you think about how you articulate all this in a very consistent way. And that's where the software comes into play. Right. Now, the resiliency piece, is that principally addressed with the microgrid component that you referenced? Because I know microgrids are part of the plan. How do your ability to craft microgrids that can be islanded fit fit into the mix, Raphael? Yes, it's exactly that. And so you know that they are. you can have a very by the book definition of microgrids. So then they need to be islandable. They need to be able to operate when the grid is down and then to reconnect to the grid when the grid, grid is back up. This is, uh, I make it sound easy. It's a much bigger technical challenge than that. And it takes more than just a, a few pieces of equipment. It's also how you make sure that all the command and control and all the software that decides which asset is going to produce when you have a microgrid all those pieces are extremely complex. And this is what we are offering to our customers. We're leveraging some decades of experience of the EDF group that has been operating systems that are literally on islands, not just as an image compared to how they fit into the grid. They're literally on, on some of the islands that EDF operates. And so you need to leverage that. And then you're able to serve customers with solutions that are an excellent substitute to a genset because you're not only relying on diesel, you're mostly relying on your solar and your storage. If there is need to use the genset because the outage is longer, yeah, we, we will integrate that into the mix, but it's mostly relying on solar and storage. Yeah, it's interesting because you've mentioned software several times, and I know that the key for successful microgrid operation is software. I think it was Mark Andreessen who was attributed with the quote of where he said, software is eating the world. I think when it comes to energy management, it's going to be more and more about software. You mentioned software related to solar, related to storage, related to the microgrids. What's unique about the software piece in your PowerFlex system? I know you use the term adaptive load management. Talk to us about your approach and how you're thinking about software and the role that it plays in PowerFlex. So it is essential. And sorry if I'm talking too much about it, but it is really essential. It is eating the world. I think it's feeding the world too. It is providing solutions that we didn't think we had and allows us to maximize the clean energy assets that are available at commercial scale. So specifically what what we do with our software and how we differentiate ourselves is that we have created a unique platform. And so it's a, a platform. It means that you have different models that you can pick and plug into a sort of common core that is going to allow you to maximize the savings and maximize the consumption of solar with different assets. So in in some places, you're going to have EVs. In some places, you're going to have EV plus storage. In other places, you're going to have solar plus EVs, and you want to maximize how much much of the power is coming from your solar system. That's the, the piece that we have, this integrated EMS that is not only about one of the technology, is a big differentiation. And again, it's something that sounds easy and obvious, takes years of investment to get to a place where they really work well together. And we knew that it was coming, so we started to invest early, and we have that ability to coordinate all those different assets under the same energy management system. Now, you mentioned adaptive load management. It is very specific to our EV offering. What we do with adaptive load management is allowing two things. A, you maximize the availability, the capacity, the kilowatts that you have available on your system without having to go through very expensive and often lengthy upgrades of your transformer or any other equipment in your electrical room. And the other thing is, the other constraint is making sure you'll provide the drivers with what they want. And so this is what adaptive load management from the PowerFlex proprietary technology allows. You, as an EV driver, you're going to come in in the morning and you're going to charge your vehicle, use an application, mobile application, tell when you need to leave. And that's all you need to do as a driver. 
then the system is going to do the same with the other 150 charging stations that we have on one parking lot. It's going to combine this to make sure that you're still going to go back home with the, the energy you need, but avoid creating some peaks. And that avoidance of peak is essential for the energy bill. And if you step back, it's essential for the grid. If you look at the objectives of electric vehicle in California with a 5 million target by 2030, if you have all of those vehicles charging at the same time on a 7.7 kilowatt level two chargers, you exceed the capacity of the grid in California today. So obviously this is not gonna, all gonna happen at the same time. So we, we, we will avoid that doomsday scenario, but you're still gonna have meaningful strain on the grid if you're not thinking very dynamically about the charging. And so we're already able to do that at, the, at a micro level with the adaptive load management that we deployed on site. Then that same software is going to be able to take into account the peaks that you may be creating because of the profile of solar. And it's going to maximize how you utilize your battery to avoid those peaks. So it's, it's all those components that are taken into account in our adaptive load management. Now, you mentioned the EV charging business was actually acquired from Caltech. Are any of the technologies that, that you've talked about in PowerFlex proprietary or they patented? I'm trying to get a sense for how unique they are. Yes, that's the case. So as you stated, PowerFlex was initially developed inside Caltech. So you benefit from the brightest minds in the country that have focused their attention on this problem. They've seen that it was going to create issues for the grid if we didn't think about the charging of electric vehicle in a dynamic way. And we're benefiting from the technology that has been developed there. So it is very helpful from a competitive standpoint to have access to this. And then it's one component, as, as we were discussing earlier, after that, the rest of your competitive advantage is going to come from the talents you put together and, and a new market strategy. Okay, all right, excellent. Let's hop back to the resiliency piece for a minute because I know how, how important it is. With these microgrids that, you're develop, that you plan on developing, are you looking for your first project? Do you already have projects in place? Tell us, tell us where you are in, in actually having that be a real life situation. Yeah. Again, if you it depends on what lens you take. If you take the EDF lens, we've we've done a lot of microgrids, systems that are operated completely independently from the rest of the grid. And we've been able to leverage that part in order to demonstrate to our customers that we were going to offer the same for, for the US market. And so we have microgrids that are in construction today. We have about six of those that are in construction today. So it's fully islandable microgrids. The, the type of industries that are going to be interested in those range from, I was, I was talking about a winery example. So we're working with Domain Carneros, for example, on, on, in the Napa Valley to help them increase their resiliency. And that's one of the systems that we're working on currently. Another one that we publicly announced is with the Port of San Diego. There, it is another type of industrial demand that cannot afford a, an interruption in their power supply. And it's another type of customer who is not only eager to make sure that they will have power, but also very conscious of minimizing the impact that they have on the environment, on their communities. I think those are very telling examples of the type of customers that, that we can serve with those microgrids. We are benefiting from the S-chip availability and an enhanced S-chip for those microgrid projects. It is necessary because it's still early and it still requires improvements across the industry from the hardware to the software to the customer understanding also of, of what this can bring and nothing better than seeing your, your next door customer benefiting from it. So I think the the, uh, the California state is doing a good job here at priming the pump. And we are going to continue to see demand for those. We're, we're really seeing this as a real intention to come back to your distinction. Now, to take action, I think you will, you will need to see continued support from local governments or, and it's unfortunate, but I think you will also need a few more climate change induced events for our customers to realize that this is this is needed. Yeah, that they have to act on it. Well, it's interesting. So you're taking the deep experience you have in microgrids in your core business and leveraging that expertise at PowerFlex. And, it, and it's interesting to hear you've already got several projects up in operation. Well, Raphael, this is between the footprint 
of EDF globally and how you're responding to customer needs and this deep dive on PowerFlex. This has really been super and kind of takes us to today. What looking forward, looking into the, into the future, how do you how do you think about what it's going to take to be successful in the future? Yeah, I think I, I touched on that a little bit earlier when I was talking about or approach to to storage with CI customers. I think what it's going to take to be successful is to be able to play at both hands of the floor, to be able to be both a product company that develops technology on the software side, adapted to the hardware and commercially relevant to our customer. That's the product development with its three legs of the stool. And then at the other end, we are still a project company. This is our DNA. We deliver projects on time and on budget. This is what we're known for. We, we will not give that up. You need to be able to learn from your actual projects to develop the right products. And you also need to serve your customers with a complete solution. I don't believe that the market is ready to white label storage products for the CNI customers. I, I don't think it is there. I think you need to be close to your CNI customers. This is not their primary reason to be. They're not meant to buy energy, as you know that very well, John. It's, yeah. it's very different from the, <laughs> right. from the utility business. doesn't mean that they are not ramping up. You see the quality of the people that are being recruited by some of the CNI customers that I ESG targets. They're extremely experienced. We're working with customers like Prologis who have tremendous teams to achieve their ESG goals, but you still need to be there with them. They're not going to be able to build those things with all the difficulties that you're always going to face when you're, when you're doing a construction business. This is what we can do. We, and I think this is where the recipe for success in the future lies for us, being both a product company and a project company. Okay. Well, that was very well articulated. It's been exciting to watch the company over the five years that We've worked together with Smart Energy Decisions and EDF. Um, it's really exciting to see the plans you have in place for PowerFlex. We really look forward to kind of keeping an eye on how things are going with the rollout, Raphael. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on your research too because it, it helps us. Thank you. Well, that's great. Thank you very much. This is a great conversation on PowerFlex. I'd now like to talk about you and, and give our audience a chance to get to know you a little better, Raphael. Why are you passionate about this space? I mean, your passion comes through loud and clear during this conversation, but tell me about why you're really passionate about what it is you do. Yeah, I'm glad if it transpired because it's true. <laughs> and I, I think it primarily comes from the mission. It is very important to me to do something on a day-to-day -day that is going to help resolve the biggest challenge that we are facing as a species. And I do believe that we are, we are contributing. But I think it's not only that. It's also the ability to do that while building a business. And that combination is really what makes me uh, wake up excited every morning. And I think you see that. It's, it's, it's true to me. But I think you would, you would hear the same from all the, the team members that I have the privilege to work with. It's that combination. We are passionate about fighting climate change, but we are business people. And this is that, that ability to do both that I love and that is a big driver for me. Well, that intersection of doing meaningful work and also kind of being competitive and wanting to build something that's meaningful is a powerful driver. And we share that, Raphael. So we've talked about the importance of people during our conversation. Who, who's had the greatest influence on your career? Many people have obviously had, had their influence on me for sure. I haven't talked about Tristan Grimberg, who is the CEO of EDF Renewables yet, and he's been with me from day one on building this, building the vision. And we've worked together for more than a decade inside a very large group and the ability to leverage what a large group brings while really being as entrepreneurial as we can inside that group has been something that has been very inspirational for me that I've, that I've seen at play with Tristan. And I think to a broader extent, the EDF group has been excellent at, at fostering that. Prior to that, I was working for what was then called EDF Energie Nouvelle, so New Energies in Paris. And its leader, David Corsia, was of really the same cloth. He has been 
able to build a culture of high growth business and, and entrepreneurship inside a large group that recognizes the need for it. And yeah, that's, I think this has been a, a great influence for me. Interesting. So it sounds like what they have in common is that they're effective leaders, but they're also very focused on the culture that they're building in their organization. So it's very clear just in speaking to you that kind of culture and building a team and fostering uh, team spirit is something that's important to you personally. It really is. And it goes with the ability to achieve the mission and the ability to do successful business. We're not going to solve the issues that we're tackling if we try to go about about it individually. It's a team effort and it's the biggest team there is because it really is going to take every member of that species to make a change. And at the business level, it's the same. It's not about any one individual. It takes a village. It really does. It really, really does. You need to be able to have a diversity of talents, visible diversity and invisible diversity, the difference in mindsets, the ability to have somebody who is going to shoot for the moon together, working together with somebody who is going to bring you back to earth to make sure that we meet our quarterly goals. <laughs> this is how this, this is how it works. There's, there's no other way. And, and I think this, this is, yeah, the most exciting part for me yeah. is, is that. Well said. <laughs> what accomplishment are you most proud of to date? Well, if you look at sort of practical results, I think what we as EDF Renewables have been able to build on the distributed side and because I was I was uh, closely associated with it is is a great source of, of of pride for me and it's again shared pride. I wasn't alone. But I think if you if you look at this and what we've done in the span of less than six years, building a business that is more than two hundred million dollars today and is really offering extremely innovative solutions to customers and having an impact on the ability of those customers to accomplish their social missions. That's something that I take great pride in. And again, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be done without the team. So <laughs> I'm not going to talk about this again, but that's something yeah, I'm extremely yeah. proud of too. It's, it's not only the, the, the bottom line numbers, it's, it's, it's also the people that are part of those teams that we've put together, we've gathered sure. in, in PowerFlex. Yeah, well, you can't build a $200 million business in six years by yourself. So clearly that's about getting a lot of people to buy into the vision and mission and contribute effectively. So congratulations. And I, I have the I have a sense you're just getting started and there's going to be uh, much bigger things in your future. What's been your greatest challenge? Oh, there are many. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's often challenges that come from your success or your fortune. So if you look at the, the market overall, I think it's been a very challenging market. It's a very, very competitive market across the board for renewables, but on the distributed side, it's certainly true. And that's because we are in a sector that attracts a lot of attention and a lot of capital. So that creates ground for high competition. And again, it's the price of success. If we were in an industry that was declining, uh, we wouldn't have those issues. We would just be trying to make the most of the talent of a market that is disappearing. It's not the case for us. The anticipation is very high. This, the, the writing's on the wall. So investors know that it's going to come. And it means that they're creating competition before the markets are really mature sometimes. And that's, that's been a, a challenge for us as an industry. And we're still, we're still in this, I think. So that's one of the challenges. And if you look at it from a system standpoint, I think it's, it's a bit of the same sort of issue as what we were talking about with the grid. You're solving issues with more solar on the grid, but you're also creating issues. So you're making problems for yourselves. And that's, that's I think, the challenge we have. And we have the solutions. We, we, we really think uh, systematically at the system level. And we, we can help solve the issues that we as an industry have created. But that's, that's a challenge, I think. Yeah, well, that's, boy, that's really well said. I mean, success is often the, the downfall of people and it could lead to arrogance. It could lead to ignoring unintended consequences. And it sounds like you are very in tune with the unintended consequences from things that go well. And it sounds like you're also determined to make sure that you don't get too arrogant based on your success, which is very wise. In, in thinking about things, what impact would you like to see PowerFlex have on, on the industry? I, I, I think in conclusion, I'd like to get a sense for what's, 
What's your hope for what PowerFlex will do in the industry, Raphael? Hopes are high. I think we really want to be the leader in the nation to serve on-site customers with solutions that makes the most sense. And we want the products that PowerFlex is developing to make it obvious for them, for those CNI customers to not only go solar, but go solar storage and EVs and make it in a way that is as painless as possible for the customers. To me, that's, that's really the ambition. And we want to do all this while building a successful business. And so that's a tall order because we're not the first company that is seeing the opportunity. I think we, our timing is right, but still it, it is a challenging sector. And I do think we have the right elements in the recipe, but time will tell. And that's how, that's, that's what I want to see. I want to see us as a leader in a nation in, in five years. And I want to see customers saying, yeah, we wouldn't have signed up for solar storage and EVs if it wasn't for the solutions they were proposing. Excellent. Well, you know, it's it's fascinating, Raphael. In my position at Smart Energy Decisions, I really, you know, I get to see a lot and I get to learn a lot about a lot of different companies. And you're exactly right. There are numerous companies that see the opportunity on the supplier side. And there's this fascinating race to put all the pieces in place to be able to make a unified offering to customers. I think your PowerFlex introduction is very well designed. It's well articulated. It's well thought through. And it'll be interesting to see how things go. And I wish you great success. Thanks a lot, John. Thank you very much. Raphael, thanks. Thanks one last time for joining me in the conversation. And I'd like to put out a special thanks to EDF for partnering with us not only on this episode, but over the last five years at Smart Energy Decisions. To our listeners, thanks for engaging with our content and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn about how you can become a part of our next Smart Energy Decisions event, which will be our distributed energy forum taking place September 13th through the 15th, you can visit our website, smartenergydecisions.com. We already have keynote speakers from General Mills and the Port of Seattle confirmed, and we're going to have two pre-conference workshops, one on crafting your net zero roadmap and the debut of our third annual study, the State of Distributed Energy Resources. We're excited about sharing conversations with leaders like Raphael in this podcast on our website and at our events. We do all of this in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. 